Good evening and praise God from whom all blessings flow. Welcome to today's episode of Marriage and Family Clinic. To all of our listeners in the United States of America, welcome back. And to every one of our listeners in every other country on the globe, we're still honored to have you join with us. Welcome every one of you everywhere you are to Marriage and Family Clinic. In Southern Virginia, Northeastern North Carolina, we're still coming to you on WGPL 1350 and WPCE 1400. Those are on your AM dial. And if you're tuning in to the FM station, you can find us on WBXB 100.1. You can also listen to the live stream at www.christianbroadcastingcompany.com. And if you would like to hear this or any other broadcast, any other episode in the Marriage and Family Clinic series, you can find the podcast simply by searching Bishop C.D. Hodges. You can search Bishop C.D. Hodges on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify. Listen, however you find podcasts, just search Bishop C.D. Hodges and you're going to find Marriage and Family Clinic. Marriage and Family Clinic is here to help you break down and gain enlightenment into your relationship dynamics. We hope to help you identify what makes you tick and ultimately we want to help you repair, grow and perfect your marriage and your family relationship. We're about bringing marriages and families together or back together, whichever fits you. Now, I'm not hesitant at all in saying that this is a Christian program either. It's Christian because my goal is to help all of us see our relationships through God's eyes. And this program is Christian because my chief aim is to use God's word, God's wisdom, God's inspiration to prick us, to exhort us, to encourage us, to teach us, to nudge us, shove us, and whatever else you want to say about it, whatever other verb you want to put there. My goal is to help us. I'm trying to move us into God's framework for our relationships. I want to move us into God's framework, God's design for our relationships. And in order to do that, as I said a moment ago, I use the word of God, the wisdom of God, and the inspiration of God. So whether you do or do not believe in God, I just want to testify to you today that God has his own unique and special way of inspiring us. And I understand God's inspiration to be based on timing. You know, those aha moments of life, uh, they come at certain times. We meet up with certain people at certain times. We hear certain messages at certain times. We may, we may even hear a song or see a movie at a certain time that really fits into what we're going through, what we're living at that time. That's God's inspiration. Our dreams inspire us. And, and for sure, we, we can hear a sermon at a certain time uh, a sermon that fits our situation, a sermon that fits our life, what we're going through at that time. It fits so well until we may declare that the preacher, uh, the minister must have been listening in our windows, peeking in on us, knowing what's going on. That's God's timing. That's God's inspiration. You know, I've even seen some people over the years get angry at the preacher. That's right, literally get angry at the preacher or the minister because the sermon fit their situation and their life so well, they declare that they've been talking to somebody about them. You know, I'm simply trying to say to you that God inspires through various means and through various vehicles. God inspires. And I said all of that just to set this line up right here. I feel particularly inspired of God for this particular episode. And I want to share that inspiration with you in the hopes that somebody, again, will be pricked, exhorted, encouraged, taught, nudged, shoved. 
and just move closer, if not moved into God's framework for your lives and your relationships. Well, how will we get that done? What subject will we cover in this episode that's most likely to help us accomplish moving into God's framework for our lives? The answer is we're going to deal with unforgiveness. We're going to deal with unforgiveness. So I want to talk about unforgiveness in our families and our relationships. I'm not going deep into it. I just want to touch on this and hopefully share some inspiration with you. And when I'm talking about unforgiveness, I'm talking about our sibling relationships, forgiving each other, parents forgiving sons and daughters, and probably more than anything, I'm referring to sons and daughters forgiving parents. Siblings, you got to forgive each other. You got to get over some stuff, especially those of us who, who say that we're born again and we're children of God, we're saved, we're sanctified, spirit-filled, all of your religious rhetoric. Uh, don't claim all of that if you're not at least trying to move into forgiveness. All right. But probably more than anything, I'm referring to sons and daughters forgiving parents. Let me begin by saying this. If you're a son or a daughter who's angry at, distanced from, or, or hostile towards, in conflict with, uh, you don't want to have nothing to do with, you just plain no hate your mother, your father, you are not alone. You are not the only one. There is no shortage in this world of people who hold seriously deep animosity and even hatred towards one or both of their parents. And undoubtedly, without fail, the animosity and the hatred are rooted in something that happened during childhood. If you're angry and hating on your parents, your mother, your father, one or both of them right now, it's all the result of something that happened, something that was said, something that was done, or something that was not done during your childhood. You've been carrying this all of these years. It happened to you when you didn't have a clue what was going on, and you're still hurt and angry over it. Although you've probably had your share of mess-ups yourself. You're still hurt and angry over it. And I'm telling you, I feel particularly inspired today to tell you it's past time to come out of it. You may be angry and filled with hurt because your teenage mother gave you up for adoption. Angry and filled with hate because your father left your mother to take care of multiple children while he loved on his other family across town. Oh yeah, you're not by yourself. You may be filled with anger and hate because your father molested you and your mother knew about it but didn't protect you. You are not alone. Listen, this list can go on and on and on, but let me tell you why I feel inspired to speak on this today. A few nights ago, I had a dream, and in this dream, I sat across the table from my stepdad. We were talking and working through some things. In the dream, I began to tell him how now that I'm an adult, I understood or I understand where he was coming from and why he did some of the things he did and why some things happened the way that they did. In the dream, I was pouring out my heart. And just as I was beginning to ask for forgiveness with tears flowing down his face, 
In the dream, my stepdad left his side of the table and rushed around to my side and rushed around to me and hugged me and said something like, don't worry about it. Now, to make sense out of that, you need to know that my stepdad and I, we did not have the best relationship. My stepdad married my mother when she had three children already, and our relationship was rocky throughout my childhood. I was probably six or seven when they married. Our relationship was just rocky throughout my childhood. And when I became an adult, I realized that the rockiness in our relationship was due 99% to the way I interpreted things. Oh, I think you missed that. This is why in the dream I end up apologizing. Because as a child, you interpret things one way, but you're not mature enough to interpret things the right way and put all of the pieces together. So when I became an adult and pondered the situation, I realized that 99% of the rockiness was due to the way that I interpreted things as a child. Oh my goodness, I don't have time to go into all of this. But I did spend some years trying to say in a number of ways to him in real life, not in the dream, in real life. I spent a number of years trying to say to him in a number of ways that I was sorry. In a number of ways that I was sorry. And I'm glad to say that when death parted us, we were on good, peaceful terms. We were on good, peaceful terms, wishing we had a chance to do it all over again. And I praise God and I thank God because the last time that I was with him, I knew that it would probably be the last time. And so I took advantage of that opportunity to do something really important. And that was I served him communion. And that's part of, that was just part of my inspiration for this particular episode. That was part one. Here's part two. A couple of days ago, I was searching YouTube for a sermon to listen to, and Pastor Evie Hill came across my mind. I hadn't heard Pastor Hill uh, preach in a long time, and he's actually one of my favorite preachers, Pastor Evie Hill, uh, who pastored Mount Zion Church in Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California. I happened upon a sermon titled Momentum. That he preached. I don't know where it was. Really don't know when it was. I think I saw 2001. Uh, I said that looks interesting. Looked at the subject and said that looks interesting. Let me listen to it. In this sermon Pastor Hill preached about evangelism. And the church's responsibility to impact the community. I'm going somewhere with this. Stick with me. He told of how his church taught and expected evangelism. Then he talked about one elderly lady who lived in a neighborhood of 162 homes. She worked the evangelism plan. She worked it diligently and consistently. And then a few months, somewhere between a few months and a year, 161 of the 162 homes in her neighborhood were represented in church membership there in Mount Zion. But there was one old mean man that just wouldn't receive the gospel. And the man finally moved and she felt so relieved because she no longer had to deal with him. and She no longer felt responsible for him. Pastor went on in that sermon with a couple of more testimonies, but then he shifted and said one of the greatest needs we have. He's talking about evangelism now. He's talking about the church's role and responsibility in evangelism. And he's talking about a block and a hindrance to evangelism. And here's what he says. 
One of the greatest needs we have is reconciliation in families. Pastor Hill identifies one of the greatest needs we have is reconciliation in families. Pastor Hill went on to begin to describe how much he hated his biological father. He wouldn't even call him daddy. He said he hated him so much that he would not honor him that way. He just hated the man. Hated the man. Pastor Hill hated his father because he left the family when Pastor Hill was about one and a half years old. His father left his mother with four children to raise. Four children to raise. The father just walked out on him. Pastor Hill said that his mother had to take care of those children making $12.50 a week. And I, I, I'm hard pressed to remember any time in the history of the United States of America where $12.50 of a week, a week was enough for you to raise four children and carry on a household and pay your bills. Especially not in the 20th century. Well, Pastor Hill grew up watching his mother basically slaving because his biological father had left the family, just walked out on him. And that caused Pastor Hill, the way Pastor Hill interpreted that, that caused Pastor Hill to grow up hating his father. Pastor Hill said he worked on hating him. He became good at hating him. Hated him with a vengeance. I mean just hated the man. Pastor Hill said that he met his father for the first time when he was 16 years old. And, and his father gave him $2. And that's all he ever gave him. Now, Pastor Hill admitted he don't know if he ever gave his mother any money or anything else. But as far as he and his biological father was concerned, the only thing that his biological father ever put in his hand was $2. That's all he ever gave him. Pastor Hill says that when he finished college and accepted his call to the ministry, his biological father said to one of his cousins, out of all I've done for that boy and out of all the money he cost me to go to school, he ends up a preacher. Now, Pastor Hill put an expletive in there, and I don't choose to repeat it, but he ends up a preacher. Pastor Hill told the cousin to tell his father, find a trail that leads west and I'll find a trail that leads east and I pray we never meet. Oh my goodness, you should hear the, the, the way that Pastor Hill describes how he hated his father with a vengeance. And that hate stretched into his 20s, even as he pastored a church. My God, that hate will eat you up. It will consume you. And he had to preach to people every week. He had to minister to people with all of this hate in his heart. His heart is filled with hate. And he's trying to pastor a church and minister to people. Pastor Hill admitted it. Wasted years hating his father. And the hate would have eaten him totally alive had he not made a change. You know, I, I see a lot of these quips on Facebook and social media, and, and I just want to pause for a moment and, and just say to somebody listening, listen, forgiveness is eating you up. You're wasting a lot of lifetime. 
If you could somehow capture the cost you lost in unforgiveness, hate and anger, it would amaze you. It would astound you. But I see a lot of well-meaning quips that make the rounds on Facebook, other social media. They try to describe the impact of unforgiveness. You've probably heard some of them, seen some of them. You know that one that says unforgiveness is like letting someone live in your head rent-free. Another one says unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. One says unforgiveness is choosing to stay trapped in a jail cell of bitterness serving someone else's crime. Bishop T.D. Jake said, unforgiveness denies the victim, that's you, the possibility of parole. All of this represents the many ways that people have tried to show how fruitless and how futile and how wasteful and how hopeless and useless and any other objective you want to stick on there. How useless unforgiveness truly is. And one thing that all of these quips have in common, they paint you, the unforgiver, as the one who really suffers and loses. You, the unforgiver, you are the one who suffers and loses as long as you remain in that unforgiveness. You're not hurting the other person. You're not hurting the other person. Nobody changes because you choose not to forgive them. You only keep yourself locked up. And so much of our unforgiveness is anger at what the person did to us way back when. Because number one, we couldn't process it as a, as a child. We just couldn't process it. We weren't mature to process it emotionally, cognitively intelligently we didn't know what it was all about and number two we believe they still owe us you hurt me when i was a child and you still owe me you know we watch movies all the time about adults who are angry at their mothers who gave them up for adoption oh man listen i'm not being judgmental i'm not being dismissive and I, i'm not going to trivialize anyone's pain or anyone's experience but this anger is directed towards you. If you're angry at your mother for giving you up for adoption or whatever the case may be, this anger is directed towards a woman who had a baby at 14 or 15 or 16 years of age. That girl, not a grown woman who was able to care for herself, that girl gave that baby up for adoption because she knew she couldn't take care of the baby. And there just aren't that many children who can care for and raise children. She made one mistake by having sex as a child. Should she be expected to make another mistake by keeping a child she know good and well she cannot care for? In situations like this, the girl is always between a rock and a hard place. But believe it or not, more often than not, adoption is the better option. I'm just trying to say you couldn't process it as a child. And holding on to the anger, the hate, the pain now as an adult, you're the only one losing. 
Listen, there, there's so many situations that we've been through. There's so much to unpack in these situations, so much to be accounted for, so much that is unknown. There are those who mess up because they made errors. And yes, there are those that mess up because they are just crooked and low down. <coughs> Either way, unforgiveness does not serve you well. Whether it was an honest mistake or whether it was someone who really truly meant to mess over you, hurt you and do you wrong and destroy you. Unforgiveness never, ever, ever serves you well. You must come to a point where you deal with two options. You only got two options. You can stay in unforgiveness. Option number one, stay in unforgiveness and suffer for the rest of your life and still not be whole. Or number two, you can forgive and live. You can release them from owing you and live your life and your potential. I hope you make the right choice. I really hope you make the right choice. Well, what happened to Pastor Hill? I, I know you're asking. Uh, what happened to Pastor Hill? And I'm glad you asked that question. And I'm going to have to land this thing before we run out of time. Um, if you ever want to forgive, here's the key. If you ever want to forgive, if you ever want to get over your anger and your hatred of someone who hurt you, I've got two words for you. Love and serve. Oh my God, I hope I didn't lose everyone right there. If you want to get over it, love and serve. Love and serve. You can't remain angry at someone and hate them if you're loving and serving them. It's impossible. You can't do it. Let me tell you why. Let me show you that in the application. Pastor Hill's father got really sick. And after declaring that he would never, ever, ever have anything to do with his father, after rebuffing his cousin's attempts to get the two of them together, after practicing hating his father for most of his life already, for 20-some years, his father needed him. His cousin told Pastor Hill that the hospital's going to put him out on the street if someone doesn't pick him up. And there was nobody available. Then the hospital called Pastor Hill and said, come pick up your father. Now, I don't have time to go over all this. You, you, I, I encourage you to go to YouTube and find the sermon yourself called Momentum by Pastor E.V. Hill. Uh, uh, but the circumstances played out to where Pastor Hill was the only one who could recover his father from the hospital and take care of him. And in much, much, much agony, he describes it, he went to pick his father up. And took his father to his house in much agony, deep agony. His father had no money, no savings, investments, no retirement, not even Social Security. And he was still honorary and mean. Had to depend on somebody for his very life, but still honorary and mean. So they had conflict and hostility there in the house for nearly six months. Until Pastor Hill found another place for his father to stay. He took him there, got him set up, and agreed to drop the payment off every month. But the little old lady who was in charge of the place said, You can't send the money. You got to bring the money. Pastor Hill said, No, they went back and forth. I'll send it. No, you got to bring it. And the woman finally told him, If he ain't worth bringing the money, you can't leave him here. And after a lot of back and forth, Pastor Hill finally agreed to bring the payment. Pastor Hill agonized over the drive out there to where his father was. Even wished that his father would just die. Can you imagine that? 
hating and so angry that you wish your father would just die. And after months of going, traveling out there, I guess he had to ride back and forth from home to the facility, home to the facility, thinking about his father, reminiscing on and thinking about things, really thinking about things. And where he was at the time, not where he was as a hurt child, but where he was as a grown man with a family leading a church. Pastor Hill says something happened. He said after going out there month after month after month and taking money out of his pocket, serving the man, he says he fell in love with the old man. <laughs> he fell in love with the old man. Instead of hating to make the trip, he began to look forward to it. Now, the old man was still honoring mean. Sometime Pastor Hill would arrive and the old man would say something like, you late. But after making the trip out there over and over again, after riding back and forth, contemplating the situation and serving his biological father the way that he did, Pastor Hill says, I fell in love with the old man. Hallelujah. And he began to look forward to making the trip. Listen, I'm trying to tell you, if it's really in your mind to forgive, love and serve. Serve. Try serving. Try serving. Because I'm going to tell you something here. You can't just make up your mind to forgive. You can't just make up your mind to forgive. And let me set some of you at ease right here. Even when you forgive, every forgiveness does not necessarily mean reconciliation. I want to get that here. Don't have time to deal with it, but I just want to throw that in here. Every forgiveness does not necessarily mean reconciliation. Every You can forgive and not end up like Pastor Hill and his biological father did. Every forgiveness may not end in reconciliation. But if you will forgive, something has to happen to your heart. Something has to happen to your heart. And God constructed the circumstances of Pastor Hill's life in a way that put him in the position for something to happen to his heart. You can't just make up your mind, I'm going to forgive. And I want to throw that in here because smart people like Oprah Winfrey and a few others are telling you that you got to forgive. You got to forgive. It's the law of forgiveness. It's the law of forgiveness. No, the, law, the forgiveness comes from a heart that is touched by God. You're more convinced about God's mercy and grace and forgiveness in your own life than you are about the hate and the anger that you hold for somebody else. And that's a good place to start, too. Just thinking about what God has forgiven you of. How awful it is for us to offend the holiness of God. And we dare hold grudges against people. Come on, believers. Come on, Christians. So God constructed Pastor Hill's life. Constructed the circumstances of his life in a way to put him in a position for something to happen to his heart. And I'm telling you, the best way for something to happen to your heart is to serve somebody else. Serve somebody else. Listen, you may not start off serving the one that hurt you. 
It may not begin with you serving the one that hurt you, but I'm guaranteeing when you serve others from your heart, God can touch your heart. The Spirit of God can soften your hard heart up. Here's Pastor E.V. Hill, who is in his mid-20s now, and for 20-something years, he has practiced hating his biological father. He has declared over and over and over again he would have nothing to do with the man. Oh, but you better be careful how you say never. You know, you know that old saying out there, never say never. You better be careful how you say never. You don't know how God is going to orchestrate the circumstances and the matters of your life. And I'm telling you, God is working in your life. God is working through your life to put you in the position for something to happen to your heart. If, if your heart is filled with unforgiveness, something is wrong with your heart. If you're holding grudges and carrying anger and hate, animosity, something is wrong with your heart. You need your heart dealt with. And along with believing God, along with praying, and along with living the salvation that you say you have, stretch out and serve somebody. When we look in the mirror and realize how much God has forgiven us of, and when we look out those in our communities, our nation and world, and begin to serve others, God is able to touch our hearts. And when God touches your heart, you can forgive. Listen, I'm all out of time. I got to get out of here. But let me leave you with this. Leave you with this. Forgiveness serves you no worthwhile purpose whatsoever. I've got to get out of here. If you want to hear this again, search the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify. Search Bishop C.D. Hodges. You can hear this again. I've got to get out of here. I've got to go. But I want to let you know, remember that you cannot have peace unless you surrender your life to the Prince of Peace and forgive. God bless you. We're out.